Welcome to the 201st episode of the Young Turfs podcast. We have a special guest joining us coming up in a couple minutes. Kevin Sheehan from the Team 980 joins us to talk all things Turfs. Wayne and Kevin go back in the time capsule. And I'm also joined by old Turp Wayne Viner. Uh, Good win for Maryland last night. It looks like we got things back going. What do you think of the Terps' win over Rutgers? 68-60 in Piscataway. Uh, big difference when the ball goes in the basket, my friend. When you look at Fats and Ayala shooting three after three and shooting about 50% from beyond the arc, if you can do that, you can win a lot of games. So if a couple of those rim out, totally different game. But last night, the basketball gods were with the Maryland Terrapins. Yeah, and Kevin coming up in the interview we have with him kind of brings that up. It's a different game when the ball's going in the basket. Maryland, other than the Michigan game, has had shots and, and opportunities to win some of these games, and the ball just has not gone in the basket like it has in years past. And I brought up a point that throughout this Turgeon, now Danny Manning interim era, there's always been just great drama around the end of these games. Last night, Maryland won the game, I would say, similarly to the way they were able to win games in Mellow Trimble and Des Wells had it going. The ball's just going in the basket. They're a tough team to beat. They make big threes. They silence the crowd. And at the end of the day, you come up with a pretty convincing W. We just have not seen enough of those this season. When you look at the change in the coaching philosophy over the last couple of games, what do you see? I see a team that has shortened the bench. The situational rotation stuff has worked out better. I see more confidence that if they don't have to play five out, that they go to the post, that those changes in the offense actually have an effect on the game. I see what I think is a happier group of guys that seem to be more on the same page. So far, I like what I'm seeing. I've also heard that Danny Manning might not really want to be the long-term solution. There's all that. Re- there's everything else that goes with the coaching, uh, being on the road a lot, the recruiting, et cetera. So I think this is a, a one and done for Danny Manning. But I like what I see so far. I would agree with you there. And I think that that's kind of the the handshake and a nod that Danny Manning with the administration of Maryland has. And then also with the fan base. You know, I think at this point, what you just said is clear. That's inevitable. This is a one and done situation unless Maryland does something absolutely miraculous here over the next couple months. And to that point. I think it's very much okay for people to root for this team to really want them to be successful in this moment because I don't really see the situation where Danny Manning becomes the coach. I want Maryland to win now because I think, and we get to this in the interview, there is a relevance problem with Maryland basketball. Maryland basketball is a big name brand in the D.C. metro area, and it's kind of falling off. You know, a lot of brands in the sports realm have had this problem post-COVID where if you're not good, you lost a lot of eyes. And I think Maryland's really in a position where they could fall, uh, really fall down the, the relevant scale locally, which is what they need because they got to put fans in the seat. They have the stadium. They're trying to build the facilities. They have got to bring in money to Maryland basketball. They do, but we're not out of COVID. Uh, right now, it's not really the post-COVID era. And so we'll look at 2022 in the fall. Maybe we're past this. Maryland has a new coach gets a five-star recruit, there's some buzz, and all of a sudden the, you hope the building will be full again. And a lot of teams have this problem. We've talked about Alabama football, where Saban complains the students go home and so on. But yeah, it's a little empty at Xfinity Center right now. If you can get on a hot streak here, 
it's not impossible to beat Indiana, to beat Michigan State, to beat Ohio State, and suddenly you're about 500, and hey, the, the rest of the season's open. You can At that point, you can go four and four, you win 10 games, maybe you make it to the tournament. You don't get a draft pick here if you lose. This isn't like uh, if Maryland finishes two and more, three and, and 17 in the conference, you get the first draft pick. So it does nobody any good for this team to lose. So, of course, it would be better if Maryland wins. I'll tell you one other thing when you said what's different. Uh, I look at it somewhat defensively because last night Maryland took Rutgers out of what they were doing. And I did a postgame show last night, the Big Dog postgame show, and I said the one word that described Rutgers to me is they looked tired. By the end of that game, they had no legs. I don't know if it's their fault or the fact that Maryland's defense showed up and Hakeem Hart ends up being a star in the Maryland locker room because he's he's chasing uh, their star player around and and wears the guy out and he can't and Ron Harper Jr. shoots a couple air balls down the stretch. So it's, and, it might not be the high flying basketball that you want to see, but the kids really are playing. And if you haven't been out there this season and you're listening to this podcast means you probably did get out there, but if you haven't gone, it's pretty good basketball. Yeah. And, and one thing I was going to say, and when you talk about Rutgers, I think this really sticks out to me. They've always been a team. And, and I think the coaching job that that's been done there with coach Peichel has been absolutely fantastic. If you look at where they were to where they are now, the improvement of them just being competitive in this conference uh, is is a really, really good job by the administration there and the way they've changed things up with what they've done with the rack to kind of make that a little bit nicer. And, and they've done a lot of good things from a basketball program aspect, both on and off the court overall. They've always won games under this coaching staff by slowing it down, doing a lot of the things you just mentioned. They're not the most athletic team. They don't have the best athletes. They don't really have the best basketball players, but they've managed to kind of beat you down and make a couple baskets and they play somewhat similar, I guess what the modern day would call bully basketball there. And when Maryland really was honed in on following Rutgers around, playing as hard as they can on defense, pushing the pace and making a couple shots, the talent difference I feel like started to show in the game last night. But you got to bring it when you play a team that plays the way Rutgers does. And Maryland did last night. And that's something that, frankly, we haven't really seen very much over the last 10 or so years. Yeah, there are a couple of games you can point out in there, but every night bringing it the way they did last night, we haven't really seen. That's why they've lost games at Rutgers and at Penn State. I think that some of the Maryland guys, because there's so many Philly guys and Rutgers is is up there. Uh, I think they had a lot of family come up. I think it was a different feel, probably on a, maybe on a personal level for some of those guys. But yeah, they got up and they played hard. I think that there might be a guy or two on Rutgers, and maybe it's Ron Harper Jr. and the center, Omiura, who might have a look at the next level. And Maryland's played Rutgers two times in 10 days. So that's 80 minutes of basketball was played. For about 32, 33, sorry, uh, well, most of last night, so that's 40. 73 out of 80 minutes, Maryland looked really good. They had a seven-minute lull in the second half in College Park, and it cost them the game. So I'm impressed. Uh, One other Danny Manning impressive thing, Maryland's played three Big Ten teams twice. They lost the first time each of the three games, 
And then each of the three times on the second time around, Maryland wins. So the team has gotten smarter. So th- that yeah, also I, is I would a agree with that. There have definitely been some good coaching things put out. Overall, it was a good win. Anything to add before we get to Kevin? Get the number one business phone system as ranked by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva by Viner Forgates. Saves you money while delivering higher ROI, getting you the best product for your business. Communicate better today at home or from the office with Nextiva by Viner Forgates. Visit us at vinerforgates.com slash VOIP or call 877-797-8776. Now we welcome in Kevin Sheehan to the Young Turfs podcast. Kevin, we've met in passing before, but just wanted to let you know I grew up listening to you on 980 and I've always appreciated how much you brought the Turfs into your shows. Uh, let's start off. Where do you think Maryland's at right now? A couple wins that have been inspiring. Do you see a run coming for the Terps? Well, first of all, um, that's nice of you to say. I wish I could talk more about Maryland on my show because, like, last today was the 30-year anniversary of uh, the Redskins beating the Bills in the Super Bowl, and I wanted to talk about the win over the, uh, over Rutgers last night, but no one really was up for that. Um, well, uh, you well know, hold on one second. This is Wayne. I, I got to cut in. The last segment that you did with Frank Herzog was, uh, for people around this area, was absolutely golden, should go into the time capsule. And when you brought up the, the three or four big sportscasters from back in the day doing that segment in San Diego, you almost brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> well, for everybody over the age of, of like 50 um, uh, you know, I, I got a lot of compliments and there were a lot of people that said, I don't know who you were talking about. Um, it's been a while, but that's very nice, Wayne. I, Frank is such a nice, nice man. And it's the first time I've had him on the show in a long time. I think maybe five, six years ago was the last time. And he's always, um, he's always such a, a gentleman and such a great guest. And I know I'll keep it on the terps here for one second. I have a VHS tape. When Maryland beat Ralph Sampson and Cole, and Frank Herzog came on the air on Channel 9, and I, because the game ran long and it ran in the newscast, it's one of the longest VHS tapes I have, and I have kept that. I think that was 1982 that Herman Veal hit a shot from near half court, yeah. and that, that was one of the greatest wins <laughs> uh, of my life. Now, back to today and Mason. Well, I was just going to say, though, Wayne, that was a that was a huge win, and it sort of continued the tradition of lefty knocking off number one teams, which Gary then continued. But that was not a good Maryland team that year. You know, oh, that, no, it, that it, wasn't. It was, it was Adrian Branch's freshman year, and then next year, the the following year is the year that Bias got there, and then they started to take off again. Right. The, well, since we're still in our time capsule, seeing. <laughs> What was Reggie Jackson, who was supposed to be this great recruit that Maryland gets out of Philly, starts the game with Dutch Morley. They almost never played together. I think Mark Father Gill had a lot of run, and then it was Herman Veal and a cast of a few others. But Maryland ran the double post delay uh, like yeah. they were playing a Stradivarius that day. They also played that uh, double high post delay offense in the ACC tournament in the first round against NC State. And I think the final score was like 40 to 28. Um, by the way, I loved when Lefty went to that double high post delay offense because they did it the following year 
against Houston in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Houston was the number one seed. They were the number one team in the country. It was Drexler. It was Elijah Wan. It was the year that they lost to NC State in the final. And Maryland was up at halftime running that delay offense. And Lefty walked up the floor and pumped his left fist in the air. They ended up losing the game, but they had, you know, they had the number one seed in the tournament on the ropes there for a little while. All right. And if uh, if this didn't go back far enough in history, we'll uh, talk about Maryland and South Carolina in the next segment from yeah, 1972. That's, that's, that's much. I've heard about that game. That is definitely before my time, though. Uh, but anyway, too. Mason, Mason, back to your original question. I it's funny because. Look, there was, it feels very much like this, you know, state of interim this year, you know, after, after Turgeon um, departed, uh, you know, we had, we went from three weeks previous being ranked and thinking, you know, the team was going to be decent, you know, not as good as we thought it would have been had obviously Wiggins come back or Morcel come back, had come back. Um, And then, you know, it kind of feels like it's in this state of, 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 you know, disinterest. But in watching them every night, I felt all along that they're not as bad as everybody thought they were going to be, you know, after the Virginia Tech game. They've had the lead in every single Big Ten game they played with the exception of the Michigan game in the second half. That's really the only bad game they've played. Had a shot at Iowa, you know, had a lead against Illinois, certainly had a shot at, you know, against Wisconsin at home. Um, beat Illinois last Friday night. I know uh, no Kofi Coburn, but still, um, you know, a good win. I mean, they beat Michigan State without Coburn last night. Um, and then beating Rutgers last night. And the fact that they've done it in different ways, you know, it was Dante Scott Friday night against Illinois. And last night, it was just a barrage of threes from Fats and, and Ayala, um, you know, and Eric and, and I. I think they're decent. Like, I think they're going to win some games that people don't think they're going to win. This Saturday is big. Like, if they can knock off Indiana, all of a sudden they got a three-game winning streak. Their net will increase. And then then you got a big game at home against Michigan State next week. I hope the fans respond um, in kind, um, especially on Saturday, given that, you know, it's a Saturday game. There's no football up against it. You know, hopefully the weather won't be bad. It'd be nice to see a crowd out there for the for once this year. Yeah, and I was just going to mention that between the small crowds and basically from that Virginia Tech game on that you mentioned, Kevin, it's almost like the year hasn't really been happening. Maryland's such an alive place. I know you talk about it a lot on your show, and it's talked about nationally, but seeing the small crowds and, you know, it's something at least that's finally setting in for me. I know for many Terp fans it's setting over time, but these opponents that just don't have the same meanings as your old ACC rivals, it's almost like the year isn't really gotten started up until they've gotten this little roll on in the last week or so. Yeah, I think the ACC thing's gotten a little bit, you know, old now because, look, I mean – the year Diamond Stone and, you know, that cl- that class came in when they were preseason number two in the country. Every game was sold out. You know, 2020, I mean, you needed, you know, y- you had to pay big money to get into that arena for that Michigan State game late in the year. If they're winning and they're, you know, the, the, the feeling is that 
they've got a legit team, you know, a legit top 10-ish kind of team like they've had, you know, a couple of times in the last few years. I think the building will be, you know, full um, for the for the real games anyway, for the Big Ten games like they were two years ago. Um, but there's no doubt that this, you know, the Turgeon departure um, and the loss to, to Virginia Tech and the loss to Mason and the feeling like this was going to be a lost season, I, I don't think people have gotten out of that yet. Now, you know, they come home Saturday, they beat Indiana and, you know, they, they keep playing well and they win games rather than, you know, losing the game they lost to Wisconsin, which was winnable, losing the game on the road against Rutgers or at home, excuse me, against Rutgers, which was winnable. But, you know, the, the bottom line is this town has become a town where you got to win and you got to there's got to be a, a feeling that you've got a chance to win big. And then, you know, that Maryland fan base, which we know exists will be back at Xfinity um, in droves. Uh, and I don't, I'm starting to think, I used to think the ACC had something to do with it, but if we were in the ACC, we'd be playing, you know, playing Boston College, you know, yep. uh, last night or Pitt or, you know, and, and the, the ACC has got one team in the top 25. Did the you just stinks. Kevin, did you just mention our rival Pitt? I mean, you remember when we were out the door at the ACC, Right. I, I absolutely agree that when people of a certain age say ACC, they mean the ACC that just added Georgia Tech to make it eight teams and that every night was a party and it was the mid 80s into the 90s. And, and that league was the best every night you had NBA players, guys on the cusp of making the NBA. And sure, it, um, it diluted. When you added Miami and Virginia Tech, you went to those games. There were 12, 14,000 people there, but it wasn't 17,950. So as much as we left the ACC, the ACC of our memories left us a long time ago. Well, you know, I've got friends and you guys know people who are, you know, UVA guys or Duke guys or Carolina guys, and it's not the same for them anymore either. You know, these 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 games, you know, that they've got, you know, at the Dean Dome or at, at Cameron Indoor when Pitt comes to town or, you know, uh, uh, even a game against Syracuse doesn't feel right. You know, um, so I agree with you. The conference reshuffling changed, com- uh, you know, college sports. It was all because of football. You know, initially it was the desire to have a conference football championship game. And then it was really just to have a powerful you know, football conference, if they had gone, I feel I've had this conversation with so many people over the years. I think if they had gone to a, a college football playoff, like they have now four teams, if they had done this in 2005, I don't think we would have had all the conference reshuffling. I think the chase for the championship game and to position yourself better as a football conference was because you know, there was this one BCS game and there were a lot of bowl games, but the conference championship game was like this big deal. I think if, if they had had the playoff a long time ago, we'd still be in the ACC and Boston College and Miami and Virginia Tech would still be in the Big East with Syracuse. And it, it would, you know, Louisville would be, you know, wherever they were at the time. Um, well, the Big East. Um, so, uh, but what's done is done. I mean, that, that horse left the barn and we're part of the big 10. And, you know, it's funny, I think in recent years, 
The Big Ten's been a much better league than the ACC. Um, it's got great venues. I, I kind of, I've gotten into it more. I think 2020 was the turning point for me. Some of those games that year at Illinois on that Friday night, the Indiana game, you know, um, when Sticks had the, the, the shot, you know, with three seconds to go. Uh, the Michigan State game when Anthony went for, three, you know, nine straight on three straight threes. You know, there were memorable games that year in great venues with high stakes. They just got to get back to that. And I think, you know, eventually we'll get used to it. We, I think when, as you said, when it's good basketball, we've gotten used to it. We could do a whole segment on the growth of the football team and walking onto that field as Mason did uh, on the Yankee Stadium field and looking and saying, wow, this football team actually looks like a Big Ten team. And look how small Virginia Tech looks and say this this worked. It just took a while, but it's starting to work on the football side. But I don't want to hijack any more yeah. Mason's time. <laughs> I, I was going to throw out there, I, I agree with you. And my point about the ACC was more in the sense when you look at the crowds that if Maryland was playing Duke, you knew that there was going to be basically a sellout. Yeah. And that game, it's developing. And and I, for one, being the greatest Vasquez team in my lifetime, being the main Maryland basketball team, can't stand Michigan State. I, I love when Maryland plays Michigan State at home. But there's just the lack of those Carolina and Duke games that when Maryland's bad, those games are going to still be a big ticket. And that's more of what I was going for. No doubt. Like, You're to- right about that. I mean, I there's no doubt. I mean... You, but remember, you know, as Wayne said, I mean, they stuck us with Pitt as the crossover rival, as are the, you know, the, the, the and we weren't going to be guaranteed a game with Duke at home every year, or Carolina every year. Um, and that's what was changing. But I'm with you. I mean, I look, I, I get nostalgic about those days. I yearn for those days. And, you know, it wasn't always just Carolina or Duke. If, if Maryland was good and, and NC State was good, you know, that was going to be a full house if Georgia Tech was good, if UVA was good. You, you had um, you had more of, of a feeling for those teams. And I've never since joining the Big Ten felt, you know, anywhere near remotely the way I felt about the Duke games or the Carolina games. You know, those were, you know, that, that built up over a long period of time. And, you know, people your age hopefully will be able to develop it for Michigan State or Michigan or you know, somebody in that league, but you know, that was built up over decades. It takes, it takes time. It does. And now let's go on to really, I guess what everybody wants to hear about now, the conversation that I feel like at this point is going to a circle, who is going to be the next coach at Maryland? Kevin, I'm sure you've seen the lists of names out there. Who sticks out to you? Who do you want to see as a next coach at the university of Maryland? Well, um, it's funny because I was just having this conversation with somebody earlier today. I, um, I think, you know, first of all, this is the most important thing that Damon Evans will ever do, you know, in any job, probably he has, if he remains, um, in athletics and, and, and sort of the, uh, the, the environment that he's in, this is a massive, massive hire for Maryland. Um, they've got to get it right. You know, they're they're very much, I think, and uh, this is my sense, they're kind of a, a bit at a crossroads here. You know, we all think it's a great job, which I think it is. Um, uh, but there's a lot that people don't know about the job. You know, Maryland's one of the, 
few Power Five conference teams without a dedicated practice facility. That's a big deal. You know, they haven't been on the higher end of the compensation, you know, uh, end, especially when it's come to assistant coaches. Um, you know, I, the bottom line is you got to get a really good coach. But I think it's more than that, which I'll get to in a moment. But in the league they're in, if you're just going for the splash hire and the big name and the juice and the, the ticket selling, but it's not a really excellent coach, it, it's not going to pay off for you. They've got to get a really good coach who can recruit and can coach because this league, we have seen it, you know, night in and night out, it is a grind. And there's so many great coaches that you're up against every night. And I'm not saying that the ACC back in its heyday wasn't the same, but, but you know, just recruiting or, you know, just winning the press conference um, isn't going to do it. So th they got to get it right on the coach. And then what really needs to come with that, because this program needs a jolt right now, is, you know, some juice, you know, somebody with some personality, you know, um, somebody that's going to immediately uh, come with the credibility of being an outstanding coach, but also an understanding that this person's done it before. That's my feeling. So, you know, you're talking about guys like Bruce Pearl. You're talking about guys like Rick Pitino. And I know that there is, you know, probably some hesitance to go down the path of, 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 of where we haven't gone. Mark Turgeon was, you know, such a, a, a guy of integrity. The program was super clean. Um, but this is a new day. It's NIL. It's transfer portal. And, and I'm not suggesting you, you hire a cheater. No, I'm not suggesting that. But you, you got to make sure you got a guy that's willing to push the envelope a little bit because that's what everybody else is doing. Um, but I think first and foremost, it's got to be an excellent coach. And no matter what anybody says in this fan base, you know, your mic drop is we didn't do well enough in March under Mark Turgeon. That's true. Can't debate that. And after 10 years, one sweet 16 isn't good enough. But Mark could coach. Um, any coach will tell you he knew what he was doing. He could coach. He could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Izzos and the Painters and the McCaffreys and the Holtmans night in and night out. And they're going to have to find somebody definitely that can do that. I love, you know, I love Ed Cooley as a coach. I've always been a massive fan of Ed Cooley. I think Maryland is a better job than Providence. I think Kevin Willard's a hell of a coach. I think Maryland's a better job than Seton Hall. Um you know, uh, I think Beeline's a phenomenal coach. I don't know if he wants to do it at 68. And I also, you know, feel like the next coach needs to be a guy that's going to be here for a decade plus. Um, so that's probably not a guy like Beeline, and it may not be a guy like Patino. Um, you know, but Bruce Pearl, being an Under Armour guy, being a guy that is a rainmaker from a recruiting standpoint, a guy who can really coach, Maybe he doesn't want to live in Auburn, Alabama. You know, D.C. is a much better place for, a, for an East Coast guy like Pearl, you know, to, to perhaps live in. But, you know, then again, and I know I'm rambling, but Auburn's got big money. You know, some of these big-time football schools, like Nate Oates is getting paid big money at Alabama. 
you know, they could come, they could go to Bruce Pearl. Nah, we're going to keep you. We're going to pay you 8 million bucks a year. They can afford that. So it's, um, this is a big, big hire. You know, they got to get it right. They do have to get this right. I, I listened to your uh, discussion with Gary Williams about whether Gary, and I'm not sure is completely serious. So I want to get your take on this. When Gary said he would like to come back and be, <laughs> I'll take the quote, head cheerleader for a couple of months. Was he serious or was he just being nice? Well, I mean, first of all, they'd be nuts. Damon Evans and anybody else that's involved in this would be nuts not to have Gary be a significant part of it. And I'm sure he will be. And well, I, I'm not meaning significant part. He said, I believe it was the December 10th podcast you had that he said if they had called him, he would have taken over this team for what was left of this season. I think he's dead serious about that. I think, you know, I think Gary Williams has missed coaching and missed competing, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, if Damon had said, we're going to, we're bringing Gary back, you know, you know, in the same way that, um, why am I blanking? Uh, Barry Alvarez. Remember Barry Alvarez was still in the program and he went and coached Wisconsin football for that one remaining part of the year, even though he had been retired as a coach for a while until they hired him. Yeah, he was the coach. athletic so, director himself. Actually, at that point, sure, I believe. Who yeah. just who just did that for Oklahoma? Bob Stoops just did the same thing. Stoops just did it for the bowl game, right? Yeah, that would have been awesome. But you know it, that that ship has sailed, and Danny Manning's doing a decent job. You know, oh, this I, is no, no knock on Danny Manning. Yeah. It just oh, would have God. been. Can you imagine, Wayne? Can you imagine the first home? First of all, from a business standpoint, they would have they would have packed it. They would have packed the house the rest of the year so it would have been a smart move just to make from that standpoint and obviously you know the, the feeling of interim right now we wouldn't have we'd be all bought into this team and bought into you know every night when Gary walked out of that you know out of that tunnel and pumped that fist I mean that would have been awesome it would have been Izzo and Gary Williams oh. one more time on Tuesday night and you mentioned the ticket sales. I just have to throw in, there's a lot of 8 or $10 beers, hot dogs, et cetera, that aren't being sold. And, and the T-shirts at 30 bucks aren't being sold because there aren't enough people there. So, yes, it's ticket money and it's everything else. It's also building a fan base. And you talk about this when you talk about FedEx Field being empty, that it impacts the next generation of fans. So something has to be done in College Park to, to get, Everybody out there, get the revenue back where it should be and make sure that there's a rabid Terp fan base for the future. I agree with that. You know, it's it, there's this fine line, you know, in, in sports and in business and life, the whole thing. And the, the shutdown of the 2020 NCAA tournament was massive for this program, you know, because, Look, there. You know, people will say, "Well, what if he had lost in the second round with that team?" Well, that might have happened, but what if they had made a Final Four run or an Elite Eight run? We wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Um, and I personally think that team was easily his best team. Uh, it had a veteran point guard who was one of the best point guards in the country and a big time clutch performer. It had a big guy in sticks who was blowing up. 
had great supporting cast with Daryl and Wiggins, you know, et cetera. Um, and I think that team, you know, people have said, well, that team wasn't playing well at the end of the year. Well, that's not true. They, they, they hammered Michigan in the fin- uh, final. They lost at Rutgers, but Rutgers was playing for a tournament bid that night on senior night. Um, and they had lost to Ohio State, who was ranked, you know, and, and that was a phenomenal game that day. Um, but I, I, it's, it's amazing because we're literally two years, two years ago, we were all gearing up for some of, I mean, they, they, two years ago today, they played Indiana on this date when Sticks had the putback. And the only reason I know that is it's the anniversary, two year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death. And I'll never forget when that news broke during that Maryland, Indiana game, but they played some of the best games and some of the biggest high stakes games that year. Um, and I, I think, I think that team would have performed very well in the tournament that year. And you left that one little part. Did you go to the Michigan state game that was on game day? I did. Okay. So having that on game day, I think threw them off. I know they lost that game. That was the day they were really supposed to clinch the the Big Ten, and it yep. took them another game against Michigan. So if they, I think if they didn't have game day there, they win that game. Izzo blamed having the game day crew at Michigan State for throwing his timing off. That's the <laughs> game that Cowan blew up and and had a one heck right. of a comeback there. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was one of those nights, right? I mean, and Duke did it to us a couple of those nights, too, where, you know, they came in and, and it's like you're pumped up and all of a sudden it's over before it starts. But And that's kind of the way that game went. But Michigan State was good. And Michigan State was loaded for, you know, revenge two weeks after, you know, what we had done to them at, at, in East Lansing. And, um, you know, but I... I, I Look, whatever. What's done is done. That year didn't that that tournament didn't happen. But it would have been fun to see that team um, play a Big Ten tournament and then you know get get into the NCAA tournament as a you know as a three seed. Probably worst case, if they had had a good Big Ten tournament, there was still a an outside shot at making you know at making a run at a two. Um, I think they would have been really difficult to beat. I think our dog agrees with you. That would be. <laughs> sounds like it. Yes. Mason. Kevin, we're up against the clock. I just want to get your take. Where do you see the season going? Do you think the Terps make a run, or uh, have we seen the best of this year? I think they're just going to be in a lot of these games. You know, they're probably not going to win, you know, enough of them. But, you know, they've got a very good backcourt. I mean, uh, last night was, I think, very much a revelation when it came to Fats Russell. The way he shot it, the way he shot it confidently, you know, if he ends up being able to stretch the floor a little bit, they become a different team. Because if you've got to go out and guard him out there, then all of a sudden he's by you and they're getting a lot of easy stuff. They've got a very good Big Ten. Well, forget that. They've got a very good college basketball backcourt right now. Um, and those two guys, I think, along with Dante, are going to give them a shot in a lot of the games. So I don't know. Are they going to win ten? They're they're at three and six now. They'd have to go, that you know, they'd have to go seven and, and four the rest of the way. Probably not. And that's what they'd need to even be in consideration. But I think there's some some big wins and probably some heartbreaking losses the rest of the way um, this year. And then we'll focus in on the coaching search. 
say what you will about the Turgeon era, it has always been a high drama uh, setting in the late season. They've always been able to play games to the wire that have been exciting and know they haven't always scored enough points. But at the end of the game, basically, regardless of margin, there's always been a shot that the Terps pull something off. No, no doubt. I mean, look, I, I think he was a very good coach. I think the narrative that he wasn't a good coach is a lazy one. Um, I think it's totally fine to say the program had gotten a little bit stale and the results weren't good enough. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a lifelong Terp. And I want, you know, one sweet 16 in 10 years is not good enough. So I'm totally on board with that. At the same time, we were getting a swing at it every year. You know, then you look at NC State when they when they ran Herb Sendek off after six straight tournament, you know, when he had that team going to the tournament every year. And I don't want him to be NC State, but, you know, you can do a lot worse than Mark Turgeon, which is why the pressure's on Damon Evans. He's got to get this right. My version of that is Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech was relevant sure. with Kremens, comes back, gets the Final Four with Bosch, and you never heard from him again. So that is not who we want to be. No. No, it's not. Kevin, let everyone know where they can follow you on Twitter and where they can hear you on the radio. Yeah, uh, at Kevin Chan, DC on Twitter. Um, I host mornings on the Team 980, 6 to 9 a.m., and you can – Listen to my podcast, um, wherever you get a podcast, The Kevin Sheehan Show. Uh, my old radio partner, Tom Libero, is on with me two days a week. Chris Cooley's on with me. And today, you know, I had Joe Jacoby and Brad Edwards, and we really, you know, celebrated um, or, you know, went down memory lane on, on Washington's last Super Bowl win 30 years ago. Yeah, one of my favorite listens is Kevin and Tom. Uh just really love what you've been able to do. Love the coverage you give the Terps, and thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Anytime, guys. And that was Kevin Sheehan. Make sure to follow him on Twitter, listen to his podcast, and catch him on the radio if you're in the D.C. metro area on the Team 980 from 6 to 9 a.m. on the weekdays. We thank Kevin for joining us. And as always, thanks for listening, and go Terps.